Welcome to Revenue Rehab, your one-stop destination for collective solutions to the biggest challenges faced by marketing leaders today. Now head on over to the couch, make yourself comfortable, and get ready to change the way you approach revenue. Leading your recovery is modern marketer, author, speaker, and chief operating officer at Tegrita, Brandy Starr. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Revenue Rehab. I am your host, Brandy Starr, and we have another amazing episode for you today. I am joined by Brendan Dell. Brendan is a positioning and messaging expert to top technology brands with clients including Expedia, ADP, and HP, along with many others. Brendan is also the author of the book, 12 Immutable Laws of High-Impact Messaging, where he shares his rules for standing out in crowded markets. Brendan, welcome to Revenue Rehab. Your session begins now. Cheers. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thank you for being here. And I'm excited about our discussion today. Before we jump into that, I like to break the ice with a little woo-saw moment that I call buzzword <laughs> banishment. So... Tell me what industry buzzword would you like to banish forever? Oh, goodness. That's a good question. Um, I think so. I don't know if it's a buzzword, but everybody's always talking about this being dead or that being dead. <laughs> and in general, things, you know, it forces a false dichotomy in your thinking like that this no longer works or this does work. But and that's like effective for social media. But unfortunately, the world is much more nuanced than that. And it's really in most cases about putting a critical lens to what you're trying to do and the, you know, the execution of whatever the thing is. So people have said email is dead forever. Email is most certainly not dead. Email is very high ROI if you do it well and, and so forth. So I think that's where I go. Yes, I am all for making saying it's dead be what's actually dead, uh, because I do think that that just becomes a buzz when some new thing comes out. It's like whatever the old thing is, is dead. And it's like, really, really is it now? So I love that one. Um, so now that we've gotten that off our chest, I will make sure to not say that anything is dead today. <laughs> um, so tell me what brings you to revenue rehab today? Yeah. So as we sit here in 2023, um, we've got a lot of sort of economic headwinds right now. And people are asking themselves questions about how, you know, how my business going to stand out? How am I going to get people to lean in on what I sell? And um, what we're going to talk about is how to position products. So how to position products in, in difficult markets, how to position non-mission critical products, and how do you use positioning to you know to get better traction with your go-to-market. Awesome. Uh, well, I believe in setting intentions. It gives us focus. It gives us purpose. And most important, it helps our audience to know what they should expect to take away from our discussion. So I'd love to hear from you. What is your intention? What would you like people to get out of hearing our discussion today? Yeah, I would like them to understand how they can use positioning as a critical strategic lever in their business and then how they should be adjusting it so that they can succeed despite all that's going on in the world right now. Perfect. Um, so I'll start, you know, 
when I think about positioning and the times that I have gone through positioning exercises, there is usually some catalyst. Something's changed in the market, something's changed in the business. And, you know, revamping your positioning is like an exercise. It's a thing that you do. And it's almost like a box that you check. And then, you know, the positioning is what it is. But the way that I hear you talking about that and how you use that positioning feels like this is not just an exercise um, and or it's not just a, a one time thing. So I'd love to hear how you talk about how positioning gets used on a day to day beyond when we have to define it. Sure. So I think, you know, perhaps uh, I'm not sure exactly like where your audience is at, but we can define positioning and, and you know, what, what it is. So positioning is, is essentially the act of deciding who is this for, how does it help them and how do we do it in a unique and different way? And the way this shows up on the day to day is if you're running an organization of any size, you've got all these different people who have to put messages out to the market that have to help a market understand how you can help them in a way that's unique, different, and valuable right now. And they have to do this at some kind of scale. And without clarity of positioning, you don't have that strategy to empower what do we say, who are we saying it to, and what do we want these people to remember about us? Um, and so your question was one of, is positioning, I think if I'm hearing you right, is positioning a thing that you do once, or is it something that you do on an ongoing basis? And uh, from my point of view, so everything has a shelf life, but ideally you are setting some kind of strategy in place, getting validation around that strategy that it's effective, and then continuing with it over a period of time until like you say that market does shift or we need to revisit it. But ideally, so ultimately there was a study done um, several years ago uh, by these gentlemen called Les Field. And I always forget the gentleman's name, Benet is his, his other, is the other gentleman who did the study. And it was called the long and the short of it. And they looked at why does B2B marketing work? Like what makes B2B marketing work and why do people buy things? And when they found, when they looked at it, it was optimizing for fame, which basically means, are you seen as a leader in your category? And that comes down to trust, right? People don't want to look bad in front of their coworkers. They don't want to look bad in front of their peers, in front of their boss. So the most defensible thing to do is buy a category leader in any given space. So positioning is simply deciding what are we going to be famous for and then making sure you are actually famous for that thing. Okay. And, you know, most of our audience is marketing leaders. So this won't be the first time they've, you know, heard of positioning or the first time they've gone through a positioning exercise. So I'm really curious yeah. from your perspective, what are kind of the must haves versus nice to haves when it comes to really figuring out what do you want to be famous for? So the first step of all this is understanding with razor sharp clarity, because the analogy is mixed there, but who is this thing for? Because one of the things that I see with big companies and with small companies is uh, they've got technology. There's a lot of potential use cases and they don't want to quote limit themselves. And so they try to you know, draw a broad uh, brush across all the different ways in which they might help people. And what you find is, and so on my podcast, Billion Dollar Tech, I talk with uh, founders of billion dollar companies every week. And the single 
biggest trend that I hear that when I talk to them about mistakes they've made or like what, what erodes the, the growth of their business is lack of focus on a clear, uh, precise market. And so the first thing you need is razor sharp clarity of focus and who is this person and then what are their jobs to be done? Meaning what are the things they do on a day-to-day basis? How do they describe them and how, in what order do they value them? And then how does your product intersect with those jobs to be done? I love that. And, you know, it's interesting that you're talking to founders and hearing this because as I talk to a lot of marketing leaders, especially in smaller companies that are PE and VC backed, it seems like the investment firms are obsessed with TAM. What is the total addressable market? How big is it? They want it to be big. Um, You know, having a big enough TAM is, is kind of one of those things that helps you raise capital. Mm-hmm. And what I'm hearing from you is that what works is the opposite. It's really narrowing and not just looking at who could you be talking to, but really honing in on who should you be talking to, which is a much narrower market. Um, so just really curious on your thoughts there. Well, it tur- so from my experience, it turns out that most very niche markets are actually also very big markets. It's just that, like, if take strategic finance leaders at growth stage companies, right? That's tens of thousands of people at many tens of thousands of companies, but that's a very specific person you're talking to. And when you start to get clear on who that person is and their jobs to be done, there ends up also being some crossover in how you can do that. But the mistake to make is to look and say, okay, I'll use an example from a conversation I had with a uh, gentleman named Steve Marsh, who founded a software company called Smarsh. He's now the chairman. It's a 20-year-old company, extremely successful. He exited at a very large number. And he told the story. So his software, I mean, this is like every founder conversation I have. He, he had this software. He got a good foothold in the financial services space. And then they started to say, they started to look left and right and go, hey, this thing could work in government. It could work in education. It can work in all these different... Um, other verticals. And so they started to add on all these other teams, right, to support these different go-to-markets. It eroded their position and ultimately um, it slowed their growth way, way down. And so we ended up having to eliminate these markets, refocus on this hypothetically small market of financial services, and they grew way faster. Apple is like a very famous example of this, where the first thing Steve Jobs did when he came back in after he got fired was cut like 80% of what they were doing And we all know how Apple turned out, you know, just fine. Uh, No, I I love that as well. So getting into, you know, more around positioning when it's non-mission, you know, when you're offering something that's non-mission critical or right now where we are, you know, we have some economic uncertainty. What's your advice there? Because I think that's, you know, the conversation that I'm hearing all the time is, you know, this is something that is a nice to have for our customers. So we struggle to, you know, really get in there and everybody yeah. is talking about the economy. So, so what advice do you give to these marketing leaders that are trying to figure out where to focus and how this impacts them? 
All right, so I'll caveat this before I answer. Like, how, how like nerdy into the weeds with this do you do you want to get? <laughs> like, do you, do, I was gonna say, have... I'll take it all. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I you know, okay. So the the first thing you have to do when you start to do this is okay. What kind of demand are we ultimately going to have to create in our market? Because everybody approaches a new purchase with an existing lens of what they perceive to be out there, and you can break any given market up into three categories new concepts, new paradigms, and established categories. So a new concept is gonna be an entirely new thing. Nobody's heard of it. There's no budget associated with this thing. They may not even know they have a problem. These are big new solutions. When they work, they often become huge winners. Uh, but the thing you have to do then, like by definition, right? You're gonna to have to create a category around what you just did and you're gonna to have to position you know, this new category for whom is it? What problems does it solve? And you're going to have to spend a bunch of money evangelizing that. It's just the reality. Uh, the second is a new paradigm. This is where many SaaS tools are. This is where you're saying we're going to retool an existing product or service, right? So you look at somebody like Salesforce and what they said is, okay, um, Siebel existed already at that time. They were an on-premise CRM. They said, no, we're a cloud-based CRM. They said no software, right? So they created a villain and positioned against the status quo and then evangelized how this was a new paradigm and different. And then you have established categories, which are red oceans, um, in which case you're going to have to niche down. You're going to have to figure out taking that same CRM category. Once that became an established category and there was a million entrants, Copper said their CRM for G Suite, right? So they niche down in who they were targeting. So that's a, a very, you know, sort of like in the weeds discussion of it. But the first step is, what kind of demand do you need to create? Because it influences the decisions that you make there, that, that you're going to have to make uh, from there. Um, yeah, and that you you really hit on one of my questions because I was I know we had uh, chatted before the interview just about demand and, and how positioning connects to demand. So I appreciate you sharing those three types of demand, and to me it, it's. Like that's a part of the positioning exercise is figuring out yep. which of those you fall into. Um, and earlier you touched a bit on strategy and, you know, a lot of times people think about messaging and, you know, strategy. It's like you have the strategy and then you have the messaging that supports that. But mm -hmm. I know that, you know, you have a, a position on how that messaging translates into a clear strategy for you know, teams. And so I'd love to hear you talk about that a bit as well. Sure. So I think once you determine what kind of demand you need to create, so I think to loop back into how, how do we, you know, how do we make a non-mission critical thing, something that people are going to buy right now? It, and then I'm going to, I'm, I'm circling, I'm, I'm circling around your question. I, I, I'm not skipping it. I promise. <laughs> um, you then have to determine what are the ways in which you're uniquely qualified to deliver, right? The promise that you're going to make. And the problem that a lot of companies run into is that they don't have a unique mechanism or they don't really have um, a differentiator. And this is a core strategic problem for a company, right? Because you need to get clear around the job to be done that you're solving for and how you uniquely deliver on it. Uh, and that is what then influences how you're going to develop the messaging and go to market. 
how you're going to build that out to teams is you need to put, translate all this into a story that says this is who this is who we're helping right this is the people we're helping this is how the world is changing around them this is how we're uniquely going to help them bridge the gap from where they are to where they need to be and these are the results that we're creating for people like this because those results a lot of times especially in software what people are selling can feel kind of like you know amorphous and, and not like that satisfying to sell. It's not something you can touch. And so it's those stories of how you actually help people that really get sales and marketing teams fired up to deliver that message in unique, compelling and new ways. Um, and you've hit on stories a few times, which, you know, it is the key to positioning is really how you tell your story and, and messaging. And, you know, all marketers know that to be most effective, you have to be a good storyteller. Are there ways that you are seeing those stories change right now based on the current market? Like, do you feel like people need to pivot and be able to make their non-mission critical offerings seem more mission critical? Or is it, you know, stay the course? So when it, there's a gentleman named Tony... I always mispronounce his last name. It's Tony Jamus, I think. He's the founder of Oyster HR. And um, extremely successful guy, bright guy. And he said to me uh, one time that there's too many companies out there with solutions just looking for problems. And this is, you know, this is what you're referencing, right? Somebody's built this thing that they think is cool. And, but what they're not doing is, is understanding the problem that they're fixing. So right now you need to get crystal clear on the problem that you're fixing more than anything else. And it can't be sort of um, a nebulous far away thing. It can't be a, you know, here's how we might deliver some impact in 36 months kind of a thing. It's gotta be like, what is the pain that you're experiencing that we are going to be able to help you solve, you know, in the, in the short term. And I believe that for most companies, that's, um, you know, with exceptions, of course, but for most companies, that's the, the lens that they're going to be most buyers, especially that's the lens they're going to be looking through. Uh, someone else said to me the other day, I think this is an exaggeration, but um, as a CRO of a, you know, a, a, a well-capitalized venture back company said to me, uh, nobody, no executives are making tech recommendations right now on any solution that they wouldn't stake their job on. I think that's a little exaggeration little bit of an exaggeration, but, you know, asking yourself, how do I position this in a way that is going to make my buyer look good to his CFO, CEO, or peers or department so that it's like, it's obvious and clear why somebody's making this recommendation to buy something because that's ultimately how it will get bought in an organization. Yeah. And I think that's a key part of positioning that everyone doesn't think about. Like, you know, when we think about our personas, our ICP, we are really thinking about the role that they are in. But there is a human element to buying decisions as well. And, and I would agree that it's probably over-exaggerated to say, stake your job on. But if you think about it in, you know, such a polarizing way as that, you really can start to uncover like and think about what is the individual thinking about? Because there is, you know, I've had, um, I had a client, you know, we're marketing automation consultants, um, you know, focusing on, on all things that touch email. And I had a client who I'd worked with before was at a new company. 
and her, you know, marketing leader was considering changing platforms. And she was like, full stop. We don't need to change. This is right for us. And so I asked some questions and her motivation had nothing to do with the tech. It was because she was like, I'm too far in my career to be learning something different. We need to stay with this one. And so that's very much like a very personal reason why you make a decision. And that is a key. Like when we're thinking about positioning, you know, someone with, you mentioned Salesforce, someone with Salesforce experience knows they can take that experience to any other company. They're a leader in the industry, et cetera. Um, and that's not always true. Not all texts have uh, a good um, reputation or even well-known. And so you are asking your buyer to stake their reputation in a certain, you know, to a certain degree on making that choice. And I feel like that has to be a part of the conversation when you are thinking about your position. I think this is where, especially with roles too, and, and sort of job titles, job titles can be very, you know, th this is often how people segment their audiences and often how they think about their strategies. And, and while functional lines are often, you know, at least reasonably clear, like, and, and this is not even always true, but like, what does sales do versus what does marketing do versus what does, you know, customer success do or et cetera. Titles are almost entirely, um, incongruent, right? Like a director, a VP at a small company might be the same thing as like a manager at a big company and demand gen at one company might be something different at one company versus another. And oftentimes we even see like sales will own some demand gen functions and other places market, like all that. So what I'm getting at is how do you really focus on the job to be done so that you're you're not so focused on like, well, what does a CFO want versus a VP versus a director, but instead get really clear around the job that you're facilitating and how you uniquely help them achieve it. Too many, you know, you can go to any number of B2B websites and you see it's like, we help you deploy hybrid cloud, you know, to your organization for a seamless cloud experience. And it's like, what the fuck? You know, like, well, what did you just say? Like, that doesn't, that's not even English. Um, uh, and, and so, <laughs> you know, getting clear around what is that job that the person is doing and how does your thing help is, you know, if somebody could take one thing away from this, I think that is going to help your positioning, um, especially right now. Um, and then one other question. So you talked about getting really clear about the problem that you're fixing, um, which leads to really defined positioning. Another debate that I see often is who owns that? You know, I see a lot of heads of marketing that are like, you know, I'm a stakeholder in this, but product yeah. should own positioning. And then mm. some people say, no, it shouldn't be product because they're too close to the product. It should be marketing because we have the understand of, you know, understanding of the whole market. And, and so there's almost this volley in some companies in where ownership of the positioning should live. And, and so what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, for everyone, except, you know, I'll carve like Fortune 100 out of this. <laughs> but for, for pretty much everyone else, the CEO needs to own the positioning. Because if you're doing it right, it should influence the entire way that your company is viewed externally. It should influence your content strategy. It should influence what your CEO is talking about at events. It should influence 
what sales says on calls, what their deck says. It should influence the, the way you deliver uh, service to your existing customers and the outcomes that you're helping them achieve. All of this should, should, you know, should, should follow that. Um, that's how you, you create a brand that's unique and stands out in a market. And so um, it should live with the CEO. Okay. I love it. Um, well, talking about our challenges is just the first step and nothing changes if nothing changes. And so in traditional therapy, the therapist gives the client some homework, but here at Revenue Rehab, I like to flip that on its head and ask you to give us some homework. So if you could summarize for me your key takeaways and give our listeners that one thing, if I'm not feeling confident about my positioning um, or my ability to drive to drive demands based on my positioning. What's my one action? What's the thing I'm going to do after listening to this episode? Yeah, yeah. So here's what you do: you you get you know 30 minutes with your CEO, and you take screenshots of your website and your competitors' websites without the logos there, and you go in there and you put them up on a computer and you ask your CEO to pick who's who. And if he can't tell you which one's yours versus which one's everyone, you know, who is everyone else, you have a positioning problem and they will get it <laughs> because if they're like, you know, if the messaging is not differentiated and clear and everybody looks and sounds and feels and smells the same, this is a big problem um, in a market where 75% of the, the value goes to the category leader. So that's a simple exercise I've used many times. Um, yeah, that gets, uh, you know, gets people quickly thinking about, wow, we, we need to, to think about how, how we evolve right now. I love that. Such, such an easy exercise, but it very much, I agree with you. Like if the CEO can't tell the difference, then that should be an immediate red flag that we are not differentiating ourselves enough. Um, awesome. Well, I have enjoyed our discussion but that's our time for today. But before we go, tell us how our audience can connect with you. I know you mentioned that you have a podcast, so I'd love to hear shameless plugs so that uh, we can get people to listen sure, over sure. there as well. Yeah, happy to shameless plug. Um, so the podcast is called Billion Dollar Tech. You can find it on uh, you know, everywhere you find podcasts as well as on YouTube. You can find me, my website's brendandell.com. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn and on Instagram. I'm at the Brendan Dell, all those, all those good places. Awesome. Well, Brendan, thank you so much for joining me and thank everyone for joining us today. I hope you have enjoyed my conversation. I can't believe we're already at the end. See you next time. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Revenue Rehab with your host, Brandy Starr. Your session is now over, but the learning has just begun. Join our mailing list and catch up on all our shows at RevenueRehab.live. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at Revenue Rehab. This concludes this week's session. We'll see you next week.